What an amazing morning to be able to worship with the kids and have them lead us in worship. But I, I pray um, that we, you know, when we worship with the kids leading us, it's really cool to see. And obviously there's a, you know, pretty tremendous cute factor, you know, involved. Um, and it is, it is great to see that. But I pray that we know that, that their worship, when they're worshiping, it's no different than when we worship in here, right? Uh, they are the church of today. Uh, so often we say, well, they're the church of tomorrow. That's true. Uh, these, these children will grow up to be uh, pastors, deacons, leaders in the church, ministry leaders. Uh, they're going to do tremendous things for Christ. I believe that. But also know that they're the church today. That when they gather for worship on that side of the, of the wall, it's no different in God's eyes than when we worship here as the, the body of Christ. And so I'm so thankful for that. Um, it just was really cool to be down here and to just worship with them and to hear uh, the next generation or this generation that's coming up um, sing truths like what we sang this morning. Um, to know who goes before me and who stands behind. Uh, to know that I won't be led by my feelings, but I'm going to be led by his word, by truth. Um, man, those are lessons that as an adult I struggle with sometimes. And so for our children to be able to worship to those truths, uh, it's just a great blessing. And so thank you for encouraging them, for supporting them, and loving on them. And, and for parents and grandparents here today, uh, thank you for letting us partner with you. Thank you for letting us work with your children and your grandchildren to encourage them. Uh, we look at what we do here in our junior church and Word of Life and summer program and all of that. Uh, we don't intend to take anyone's place. Uh, we are not their parents. We are not their grandparents. All we are called to do as the church is to come alongside you and to help in any way we can to nurture them in the things of the Lord. And so thank you for giving us that opportunity to do so. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, and I pray that you do, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 6. Psalm chapter 6. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 409. So Psalm chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start in that passage in just a moment. Uh, but as I was kind of praying over again, I think I mentioned it last week, these next couple of weeks, not really having a series that we're in, not really having anything like that, just kind of praying over, okay, Lord, what would you have me to share? Um, this topic came to mind actually a couple of weeks ago, and I'm thankful the Lord was able to encourage me to work it in this morning and to share it with you. Um, and I want to speak on a topic before we get to Psalm chapter 6. I want to speak on a topic that I believe can really, and I, and I pray will really, resonate with all of us as followers of Christ. This topic we're going to talk about, I pray will, and I believe already does, resonate with all of us to some degree as followers of Christ. And to get us kind of on the right train of thought, to get our, our minds there, I want to ask a question. How many of us, and you can just raise your hand, how many of us have had to wait on someone to take care of something? You've had to wait on someone else outside of yourself to take care of something in your life or in a situation or in your household or whatever. You've had to wait on someone to take care of something else. Okay, keep your hands up for a second. Okay, everyone look around. Okay, yeah, we've all been there. Okay, keep your hands up. Next question. How many of us enjoy waiting on someone to come through on taking care of something? How many of you enjoy that period of waiting for someone to come through on something? What? Oh, yeah, put my hand. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see a couple of hands shoot up and go back down. I don't know what that means. They were like, oh, mm, oh, I didn't listen to the question. I don't want to raise my hand yet. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know, right? 
Some of us, we're fine with waiting on other people to take care of things because we've learned something. We've learned that when someone says, hey, I want to help you with that, it's a blessing. Amen? It's okay to admit, and by the way, if you're here today and you're like, oh, I don't need any help, <clears throat> wrong. There is nobody in this room, there is nobody watching online that literally needs zero help from anybody. That's a lie actually from the enemy. Because the whole reason God placed us in a thing called the church, the body of Christ, is so that we can minister to one to, one to another. So that we can help each other. So that we can pray for each other. So that we can encourage each other and, and be there for each other. It's a huge blessing to being a part of the church. And there's no community. This word community is like a new buzzword the last 15 years or so. Oh, community, community, right? But God established the greatest set of community in the Bible through the church where we come together as one, right? All different backgrounds, all different life for, like lifestyles, different coming into this, like different uh, social classes, different financial things, different careers. We all come from different backgrounds. Some of you grew up in a Christian home. Some of you grew up in a very non-Christian home. Some of you came with one set of values and thoughts. Some of you came with a whole different set of values and thoughts. And we come to Christ, we receive Christ as our Savior, and we are now one in the body of Christ. And he begins to form us and shape us into the image of Christ. And while we see it as a blessing, and I think some of us, we admit, yeah, I'm okay with waiting for a period of time because I know it's a blessing. I think the vast majority of us, and even those that see it as a blessing, we struggle with the in-between, right? The waiting we, we struggle with someone that says, I'll take care of that for you, and then just doesn't seem to come through, doesn't seem to take actual you know, action and do it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you here today were told by someone, yeah, I'll take care of that for you, and literally years went by, and you finally realized, okay, I'm just going to have to do it myself. How many of us have somebody say, I'm going to take care of that for you. And we're like, okay. And time goes by, time goes by. You remind them. Time goes by, time goes by. You remind them. And finally you're like, you know what, forget it. I'm just not going to deal with this. I'm just going to do it myself. We've all been in situations like this. And I believe the reason it frustrates us is because we actually expect people when they say, I'm going to do this, that they're actually going to do it. And when they don't meet that expectation, we get frustrated. We get upset. We get annoyed. We get angry. We think, man, you told me you would be there. You told me you would take care of this. You told me you were good for this. And then you just, it just fell through. You just weren't there. You let me down. You disappointed me. This should, these words, this, this idea should resonate with us. We've all been there. Some of us, we have had this happen a few times. And our solution to this is we think the best idea is to tell other people about how this person or persons let us down. We think if I just vet this out and I tell as many people as I can about how they let me down, it'll make me feel better. It doesn't make you feel better, does it? No, it just makes you more angry. And usually what it does, it gives a platform for the person you're talking to to go, yeah, I know, let me tell you my story. And then you begin both to now talk about how people let you down. And, but I hope that we can pause for a second this morning and, and see a connection. I hope that we can see a connection between this type of a situation in our lives that we're talking about and our walk with Christ. I truly believe this happens in our walk with Christ. We wonder why God hasn't done this or that thing yet. Why God hasn't seemed to come through on that. Why is God delaying? Why is God not acting? God said he could. God said he would. 
or at least I thought he would. He should. You see how quickly we go down this road? Well, God could, and he probably would do it, so he should do it because I want him to do it, so he needs to do it. It's a pretty short road to a lot of disappointment. And we start doing this. We build this up, in our, and then we get frustrated when things don't go our way. I want to encourage you this morning. Not only are you not alone in this room with that feeling of frustration when God doesn't seem to come through, you're, you're not alone in regards to authors of Scripture. Look at Psalm chapter 6. Look at verse 3. Psalm chapter 6 and verse 3. The psalmist writes here, My soul is also sore vexed. It's in a bad place. It's not good. This next part. But thou, O Lord, how long? I want to ask you a question this morning. You don't have to raise your hand. Don't have to answer out loud. How many times have you prayed, Lord, how long? How long, Lord? Let's go to Psalm chapter 13. Just go over a couple of pages for you. Maybe a couple more than someone else, but just a couple of pages. Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. David writes here, the psalmist, as he's composing this psalm. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? How long, Lord? Now, if you're like me, you've prayed that prayer. You don't usually admit that you've prayed that prayer because that doesn't sound very Christian, very spiritual, very mature. You come to church, not so many people are like, you know, how you doing this morning? Well, actually, my, my soul is pretty vexed. You just don't hear that a lot. Most people don't admit openly, yeah, I'm just struggling and I'm asking God, how long? Maybe you say it as how much longer is another way we could say that. How long? David cries out and wants to know why God is taking so long. God, why are you taking so long? Under affliction and great emotional distress, David cries out to God, how much longer? I'm going to ask that we would pray. I know Pastor Greg prayed already, but I want to pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds that we would be honest enough with ourselves and the Lord to say, Lord, I've been there. Help me to have understanding and wisdom in this area of frustration when you don't seem to do what I think you could. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be real before you this morning in our walk with you. I'm always amazed and overwhelmed by the the genuine nature of the author of all these psalms. So often it's just a realness to them. And Father, I know that sometimes in our Christian lives, we struggle to be this real and honest even with you. I'm not saying, Lord, we got to put it all out there for the world to see. But Lord, have we come to you and have we been vulnerable enough to say, Lord, I I really want to know why? How long? How much longer, God, is it going to take? How much more is going to have to happen? How much more heartache am I going to have to go through? How much more pain? How much more struggle? How long, God? Lord David wrote that his heart daily was heavy. And Lord, I think everyone in this room, to some degree or another, can relate with that. 
those watching online can relate with that feeling or seasons we've been in where we felt that weight and we've cried out, how long? Now, maybe there's someone in this room, Lord, that's gone through that season and now they've come out the other side and they look back and they're thankful because they see that you were with them. But Lord, if they're honest, they still ask that question. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that's thinking, oh, that's not me. That's somebody else. Man, I I hope so-and-so hears this message because they really need to hear this. But, Lord, I, I got this thing figured out. Lord, I pray that you would humble their heart and mind. Spirit, you'd work. You'd lead, guide, and direct, and that we would really mean that. I pray this morning, Lord, we wouldn't focus on someone else, but we'd focus on you. It's not about who else needs to hear this message or who else needs to be encouraged this way. Lord, I need this. I pray you'd help us to know that this morning. Thank you for your word that reveals these truths to us and not just the struggle, but the solution as well. Father, we love you. We ask that you just work as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to talk about our how longs with God or how longs with God. There's two areas where I think most of us would say we really struggle in this area or at least we get frustrated in this area. The first would be, why does God delay answering our prayers? Why does God delay answering our prayers? The other would be, why does God delay moving in my situation? Why does God delay answering my prayers? And why does God delay moving in my situation? The first one If you've ever prayed those prayers, I'm not talking about what we call popcorn prayers. Those little like, Lord, thank you for this food, bless my body, amen. Because the brisket's so good and it's just, you're just sitting over the plate and just smelling it in. And you're like, I got to get this done because I got to eat, okay. I'm talking about those real prayers. Those prayers where you're on your knees and you're just before the Lord and you seek him and you pray and you seek him and you pray and nothing. There's nothing. There's no move of the spirit. There's no opening to the word. There's just this feeling of silence. There's this feeling of just God's not listening. And we struggle and we wonder, God, I did everything I'm supposed to do. I went to church. I read my Bible. I gave some tithe. I invited my neighbor to church. I pray. I'm doing all the things you want me to do, God. When are you going to just show up and take care of this? God, how long are you going to delay in answering my prayers? Maybe you've experienced that where you've prayed and sought him and actually things got worse before they got better. You actually saw the situation turn for worse than better. We asked him, we did our part, and yet nothing. Why is God delaying? We want to live in a way that pleases him. We trust him. We have faith. But in reality, it's hard to keep on when it seems like God is silent. And again, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm not really there. I don't know if I've ever really been there. Then I'm praying that you will ask God for wisdom now before that season comes. Because often we don't think ahead. We don't pray ahead. And so when we get into a season like this where God just sovereignly chooses to be silent because that's what's needed, we struggle because we haven't disciplined ourselves to know, Lord, I trust you not just when you move, but when you're still and when you're silent and when I don't know what's going on. We have to prepare our hearts and minds for those seasons now so that we're in the word, we're praying, and so we're developing this Christ-likeness so that when he decides by his own guidance, by his own direction to say, no, you need silence right now, 
I don't think, I don't believe God ever leaves us or forsakes us. Amen in Christ? He will never leave you. He feels distant. He's not. He's there. But God does, based on Scripture, choose to be silent at times. He chooses to answer prayers with no. He chooses to say, my grace is sufficient, which is just a spiritual way of saying, no. You have all you need in my grace. When the Apostle Paul cried out three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, he actually argued, I could be better for you, God. I could do more for you. But really the opposite was true. He needed the thorn in the flesh to keep him humble so that he wouldn't boast in himself. So when he prayed, and he prayed intently and fervently, and I'm telling you, I don't know of a man in Scripture in the New Testament that had more faith, performing great signs and wonders, writing the New Testament, and yet God, in his sovereignty, says, no, Paul. And I, I truly believe, as Paul reflected over that moment, I don't think he fully understood, but I do believe God gave grace and wisdom to understand. But what was the grace he had at that point? Was it a special grace only for Paul? Was it a special grace just for the apostles? No, I think when God said, my grace is sufficient, he was referring to the saving and sustaining grace we've all received in Jesus Christ. That the grace you have already in Christ is sufficient to sustain you and hold you and keep you. Even when you feel like, man, but God is silent right now. He's not moving. He's not responding. But he's giving you his grace. His grace is sufficient. And so we trust and we say, God, no, I don't need to know. I'm going to trust your grace. So why does God delay answering my prayers? Well, there's many reasons. It's just his will. That's a big part of it. His will is not to answer that prayer right now. And that's okay because he's God. He answers with no because it's not what's best for you and won't glorify him. Maybe the answer is not right now. Because situations are not aligned yet and I'm working something here. Maybe it's because of sin in our lives that we aren't seeing what we need to see in his word. We're not, we're not making decisions we need to make. So therefore he's saying no to this because I need to deal with the sin issue first. It's not as though God's saying, once you get that right, I'll give you everything you want. It's more a heart issue. I'm not praying right because my heart's not right because I have unrepentant sin in my life. Maybe I'm asking for the wrong reasons. Do you ever think about the prayers that Westerners pray versus the prayers that people in third world countries pray? We pray, Lord, I, I really hope you'll protect my 401k so in 30 years when I need that, I can live really comfortably. Thank you. Amen. While people in other countries don't figuratively pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. They are literally praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Do you see the difference there? I mean, sometimes we think things are needs and, and they're really wants. James says, if you ask, ask of God that you may consume it upon your own lust, God's not going to answer that because it's just going to push you from him, not draw you to him. So some of us as Westerners, we've been taught God will give us our dreams, but we don't understand that dreams really means his dreams for our life, not our Western kind of selfish, greed-driven dreams. And so we're praying, Lord, why won't you give me that million dollars? I promise I'll tithe, right? And I really hope you're going to church here when that happens. If it happens, praise God. But... I mean, 10% of a million, that's, we're okay. Um, but Lord, no, no, I, Lord, I, and Lord knows our hearts. 
And he goes, you're just going to consume that with your own lust. That's not going to glorify me. Nope, that's going to drive you from me. So the answer is no. See, there's, there's different things in Scripture. And then sometimes he says yes. Now, sometimes he says yes with this part different. Sometimes it's yes, okay, fully what you asked for. But I truly believe the more we walk with Christ and the more that he does what his word says he will do, which is conform us to the image of Christ, our hearts begin to change, our minds begin to change, and our prayers begin to change. We stop praying for silly, selfish things, and we pray for our spouse. We pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren. And not that they'll have a lot of money and live really successful and fancy lives. We'll pray things like, Lord, I pray that my child will grow to know you and know that serving you is the greatest thing they could ever do with their life. I don't care if it takes them to a hut or a mansion. If they're serving Jesus, that's all I need to pray for my children. See, some of us, as we grow in Christ, we've learned this. So why does God delay answering our prayers? God, how long are you going to make me wait? And he's going, just a little bit longer because you're not ready. Just a little bit longer because your heart's not ready. The situation's not ready. Whatever it is. Or I'm going to make you wait until you realize your heart needs to change. Because that's not glorifying to me. Now, some of you are like, but I don't like that because I want a black and white answer. I want a, you know, A or B to tell me what to do. God doesn't work that way. It's about a relationship. It's about growing. It's about understanding that we pray primarily to grow in Christ, not to get something from Christ. We pray primarily to grow in Christ, not to get something from Christ. Now, he'll bless us and he provides for us. He's, God's our father. He wants to care for us. I'm not saying he doesn't do those things. But the primary goal and why I pray is to grow in a relationship with him, in communication with him. So why does God delay answering our prayers? How long, God? Well, I don't know how much longer. But we trust him no matter how long it takes. Why does God delay moving in my situation? Very similar one of the most frustrating things for so many, and to be honest, myself included at times, is when you know that God could, but he doesn't. I notice when I say things like that, I don't get too many amens. What is it Vodi Bakum says? If you can't say amen, you should at least say ouch. We know he could. He's more than capable. What's in, what's What's impossible for God? Well, nothing is impossible for God as long as it's in his will. God will never do anything that contradicts his will. So if it's in his will, it's in his capabilities. So nothing is impossible for God as long as it agrees with his will. He can do anything. Is there any disease that God cannot heal? No. Is there any situation God can't resolve and bring blessing to you and glory to his name in? No. Any, anything he can work in. So then why does God, who could, not? Why does he have the ability but choose not to? Why does God delay? How long, God, am I going to have to wait for you to work in my spouse's heart and mind? How long, God, am I going to have to wait for you to work in this situation? How long, God, am I going to have to wait for you to resolve this conflict? And the answer is, I don't know. We don't know. Because God is working things that we don't understand. He's moving in situations. And by the way, he's working even when we don't know he's working. We have to sit with that tension as believers. The tension between God's ability and God's actions. And again, just like prayer, we trust. 
We trust that God is working. We won't always see the fruit. I've always loved the story. And if, if Julie was in here, she shared the story. You've maybe heard the story. She wouldn't be embarrassed or, or offended by me sharing this. But her husband, Randy, she prayed for Randy to come to know Christ for 29 years. Almost 30 years praying for her husband to come to know Christ. Do you know what she did in the meanwhile? She raised her children in church. She led her home as a follower of Christ. And Randy went home to be with the Lord because one Sunday morning, he decided to come forward and say, I need to receive Christ. And ask Christ into his life. And by the way, my jaw, I tell the story, my jaw almost hit the floor. Because he had been attending church for so long. And I, Julie's teaching and he's here and they're a great couple and he's awesome. And I'm like, this guy knows Jesus. I just, I just projected that onto him, by the way. So he comes forward and goes, uh, I need to stop playing around and ask Christ into my heart. What's that now? I think that was really my response. Excuse me? What? And he said it again, and I was like, oh, we just need to pray, and, and you can just pray right now and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. And, and he's like, I don't really know how to pray. So we prayed right here, and he asked Christ into his life, and man, it's amazing. But you know why I tell that story is because I got to believe there was moments where Julie went, how long, God? How much longer? And I believe every moment of that period of time, God's working. And from testimonies that were shared, testimonies that have been shared, we know it to be true. It's been shared about how God worked in different situations at different times, even before he was even aware of God. And this is true in your life as well. I don't tell this story like, oh, that's the awesome, amazing Christians that I know. No, no, no. This is how God works in all of our lives. You all have situations that you're like, how long, God? I mean, I've been pretty patient. I've been pretty good. And we start doing this spiritual checklist, right? As though somehow that's going to impress God to move. By the way, if you're doing things so God will do something, probably not the right heart to do them. I serve so that God will do this. Nope, mm -mm, no, you serve because you have a risen Savior who serves you every day in grace. That's why we serve, to be a blessing to the church and to glorify him, not to get anything from God. Will he bless us for our service? Absolutely. But you know what we're going to do with those crowns when he gives them to us, when we stand before him, or rather bow before him? We're giving them back. So as we think about this, how long, God? Well, I don't know. But we trust even in the meanwhile because God is good, God is gracious, and he's working his will. We cry out and we ask God, why is he taking so long in our prayers and in moving in our situations? And yet I truly believe we must step back and ask, how long have we made him endure with our lack of faith and our impatience. See, when I started off, I said, how many of you get frustrated or enjoy rather waiting on someone to do something? And none of us raised our hand. We don't enjoy that. We expect people to do what they say. And then when people fall, fall off, it falls through, they don't come through rather. We get disappointed. We get frustrated. We get angry. We vent. We get all judgy. That's a biblical term. Just look it up. Write it down. Judgy and fleshy. Kind of coined those phrases. Not judgy so much, but fleshy. I said that before. And somebody was like, I don't think fleshy is a word. I was like, mm, I said it from the pulpit. It's a word. Okay, that's how it works. Stamped by pastor approval, right? We come to God and we go, God, how long are you going to make me wait? 
How long are you going to wait to answer this prayer? How long are you going to wait to move? And I'm so thankful that God's gracious response is, how long have you made me wait? So our how longs with God, let's pause and think, just think of your own life. How many times have you made God wait to be obedient? How many times have you made God wait to be faithful? How many times has God provided and led and guided and you were stubborn, rebellious, and made God wait? Our how longs with God should lead us to understand God's patience with us. God's patience with us. And I wrote in my notes, pause and praise next to that phrase. Because I think when we think about the patience of God in our lives, we need to stop, pause, and praise him for his patience. Praise him for his enduring with us. Because we are stiff-necked people, the Bible says. We are hard-headed. We're stubborn. And yet God, in his grace, is patient with you. I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you struggle with being patient with yourself? I said not to raise your hand, Lynn. I know, yeah. All of our hands could go up. Because you know what? We're, we struggle with being patient with other people because we really struggle with being patient with ourselves because we know us. Did you ever do something that you told yourself you would never do and did it again? I'm never doing this again. I did it again. I'll never say that. I said it again. And you get impatient with yourselves. It's so difficult to be patient with others. It's extremely difficult to be patient with us. And yet God in his grace says, I will endure with you for a season. I will be patient with you. And so we praise him for his patience. I want to see this in two areas quickly. First, his patience when I have unbelief. His patience when I have unbelief. Go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 705. Bibles provided, page 705. Mark chapter 9 and verse 19. So we cry out. We see Psalms. David cries out, how long, God? How long? Well, here we see Jesus making a plea of how long. Mark chapter 9 and verse 19. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. This is an amazing story. Read it in its context. I love Mark chapter 9. I love that he says, how long am I going to have to deal with this? How long am I going to have to deal with your faithlessness? Bring him here. Do you know why he says bring him here? Because he's going to do a miracle. He's going to do a great work in the midst of an unfaithful people. In the midst of a people that don't have perfect faith. And I love that Jesus in the midst of imperfect faith, says, now watch what I can do. And I do this to strengthen your faith. He doesn't rebuke us and leave us hopeless. He rebukes our lack of faith and then says, now watch me strengthen your faith. But I love this line. How long shall I suffer you? How long do I got to be here? How long do I got to put up with this? How long do I got to deal with this Idea In the Gospels, we see example after example where those that should have the greatest faith in God don't believe and don't understand. Have you ever thought about that? Man, them, those that had the greatest faith or should have had the greatest faith, 
They struggle. They don't believe. They don't understand. Yet God, as only God could, shows them and us incredible patience because we should know. We should believe. I was talking to somebody recently and they were sharing about how they had been praying for something and then God moved and answered the prayer. And when God answered the prayer, they were like surprised. Oh, oh, that's awesome. God moved. And they basically said, I kind of stopped and I was like, why am I surprised? I prayed and asked God to move. So then the question is, well, then did I really believe that God could, that I really believed that God would when I prayed that prayer, trusting in him, because when he did it, I was shocked. And I always think of that story in, in Acts when they were praying for Peter's release. And it's one of my favorite stories. And they're praying for Peter to be released. The church is gathered praying. And by the way, when Peter went to prison, they didn't go to the prison and protest the prison. They got together as a church and they prayed. Amen. Amen. Ouch. You guys know where you're at. Okay. Just, just go there. They didn't go to the prison and try to burn the prison down. They didn't go to the prison and try to break them out. They said, nope, we're going to intercede. God's going to move. And as a church, they got together and they prayed because the greatest thing we can do when faced with adversity is prayer. I don't know that we believe that. I don't know that I believe that. But the greatest thing when we're faced with adversity as a church, as a Christian, and church meaning the body of Christ, is pray. Pray Prayer is not the least you can do. It's the most you can do. And when we want to see change in our country, change in our neighbors, change in our spouse, it doesn't end with prayer after we've tried every other thing. It starts with prayer. Because I believe truly when we are praying in the right heart and the right mind, we're going to stop praying for our spouse to be fixed and we're going to start seeing all the imperfections in us and how we need to be changed. And then all of a sudden we'll go, maybe the solution is to be the man or woman of God I need to be so I can love my spouse as I need to. I'm not saying they don't have issues. Of course, every, every spouse has issues because there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. If you pretend like yours is, you're only fooling yourself. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. I'm not saying that spouses don't have issues they need to work through. What I'm saying is start with yourself and then you'll see clearly how to help your spouse. What does Jesus say? Deal with the beam in your eye before you talk about the sawdust in your neighbor's eye. So God has incredible patience with us in the midst of our unbelief. Now, I'm not suggesting that God desires us to lack faith in a moment of trial. Obviously, he has given us all that we need, his word and his spirit, that we might believe. Jot it down for note's sake. We don't have time to go there. John chapter 20 and verse 31. John 20 and verse 31 reveals to us that God gives us the word, specifically the gospel of John, so that we'll believe and know salvation and trust him in all areas of our lives. So I'm not suggesting that God doesn't want us to have faith. I am suggesting that we stop beating ourselves up when we struggle in our faith and realize he understands and is patient with us. So now we see the how longs of God. This isn't just to the New Testament. We also see this in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you some references. You can jot them down for note's sake. Go back and look at these. But here's some examples of God's patience with us. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 14. And Hosea chapter 8 and verse 5. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 5. Just three examples. Numbers 14.11, Jeremiah 4.14, 
Hosea 8.5, of God's enduring patience with our lack of faith, with our lack of trust. In each case, he points out his gracious endurance towards mankind. So God is patient with us when we have unbelief. Secondly, God is patient with us when I look away from him to lesser things. When I look away from him to lesser things. I want to pause for a moment and think back over your Christian life. Think back over the time you've been a believer. For some, this is a little harder than others. You've got to go back a little farther. I want you to think back over your Christian life. And just pause for a moment and think of the moments where in your Christian life, as a follower of Christ, knowing him and knowing what he calls you to, a relationship with Christ. And I want you to think of the times that you looked to lesser things in your Christian life. When you look to things that tried to satisfy, things that tried to fulfill you, when you decided in those moments to not look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, but to look to lesser things, relationships, work, the approval of others, hobbies, anything that we think will satisfy us apart from Christ. When in your Christian life, you thought, I'm going to look to this thing, and this thing will satisfy, this thing will bring me greater joy, this thing will fulfill, and each time you realized it was a lesser thing than what you already had in Christ. So I want you to think back to those moments. I want you to think to your Christian life, over your Christian life, rather, those moments where you were drawn away, you looked away, you knowingly chose to take your eyes off of him and put it on something else. And I want to ask you, in those moments, as a follower of Christ, how did God respond? And I believe, based on his word and based on experience, that God responded by calling you back to truth. That God responded by calling you back to to his word, that God responded by calling you to leave the broken cistern. You can look up Jeremiah 2.13. talks about that whole example, a beautiful illustration of the children of Israel leaving the goodness of God for worthless things, lesser things. But he called you by his spirit to leave the broken cisterns and trust again in his wonderful provision. You looked to lesser things. You took your eyes off him. You looked away. And yet by his grace and by his patience, he pursued you and he endured with you. And he said, no, no, come back to the word. Come back to truth. Come back to provision. And as a gracious, loving father, he called you back to him. And you didn't deserve it. You looked at lesser things. You took your eyes off of him. He did everything, and you chose to look away. You thought that other thing would satisfy you, that relationship, that job, that hobby, that house, that boat, that car, that career, that financial bank account, whatever. You thought that would do it, and then it didn't. And you come back to God as he calls you back, and his grace and his patience is there. And he says, I never left you. I never forsook you. Let's start again. Let's get going. Don't worry about yesterday. There's grace. Let's move forward. Now, the reality we have to acknowledge is that maybe, as he was drawing and calling you, maybe he had to bring correction into your life. Maybe he had to bring some form of discipline in your life to draw you back. That is more evidence of a good and loving father. Because a loving father will bring discipline if it's the best thing for the child. To draw them back into a right relationship. To show them the love that is already there. And God, according to Hebrews, is a good father 
He does bring discipline, but it's always to bless us and glorify him. We don't see it in the moment, but he does great things because he's a great father. By his spirit, he reminds us that it is not the pursuit of lesser things that brings our lives great joy, but dwelling on what we already have in Christ. I want to read a quote from J.I. Packer, and I believe he said it well. What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowing God. He says, what is... What is the thing in life that's the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, contentment than anything else. He says, knowledge or knowing God. He goes on. Because as amazing as it is to know God, there's even something that brings us fuller joy, deeper joy. He goes on and he says, What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlines it all, the fact that he knows me. He says, I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. Do you realize that when you looked to lesser things, you were on his mind? He knew you. You may have for a moment forgot the value of the relationship with Christ that you have, but he draws you back. He woos you back. He calls you back and he shows you, I never left you. I was always there. I'll always be there for you. You're valuable. You matter to me. Let's move forward. Let's move on. And he picks you up and he brushes you off. And he continues the relationship because he's patient. The grace of God should be and truly is overwhelming to any of us that know Christ. He is faithful and patient with us beyond our understanding. So I want to ask you a question. I ask you to look over your whole Christian life and evaluate, man, how has God drawn me back when I looked at lesser things? How has he shown me patience? Let's make it a little less of a challenge. Let's look out over the last week. Just look over the last seven days. How has God been patient to you? How has God shown you patience? How has God been patient to you when you knew you were supposed to obey in obedience, but you chose not to and he was still patient with you? He still worked in you. He still opened your heart and mind to his word. How has God demonstrated his patience to you? And yet maybe we missed it. Maybe we didn't see it. Let's take a time this morning to reflect over that and to thank him for his grace and his patience. While I believe God is patient with his children in Christ, there will be a point when his patience turns to action. The Bible says he will judge those outside of Christ and his patience he gave while they were on earth will be removed. So my challenge to all of us today is if you don't know Christ, do not take the patience of our Lord for granted. Make the choice today while you have breath in your lungs to confess and repent of your sin, turning to Christ and receiving him as Savior. If you're here and you know Christ, let's praise him for his patience. Let's not take it for granted or take it his grace and make it vain by just living as we think we should, but by trusting in him and living in him and enjoying the relationship, not only that we know him, but he knows us. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, God's shown you great patience because when you sinned, he didn't immediately bring judgment into your life. He gave you grace. He gave you time for repentance. And so don't take that for granted because there's coming a day when he will judge 
and his patience and his endurance with mankind will end. And he will call to judgment those outside of Christ. And so do you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? If you don't, make the decision today to trust him, repent of your sins, and enjoy the relationship. And if you know Christ, I want to do this this morning. Again, a little bit different, but we're not going to have an invitation in the normal sense. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to have you bow your heads in just a moment. And so if you have your Bible or notebook or whatever, just put that aside for a moment. Just go ahead and take a moment, kind of close that up, put it aside. I want you to take just a couple of moments this morning. I want you to ask God, honestly, God, show me your patience in my life. Show me your grace. And then as he begins to reveal those moments to you by the stirring of the Spirit, take a moment and say, God, thank you for that. Thank you that maybe before you came to Christ, you look back and you realize he was so gracious to me to give me time for repentance. I didn't know him. I was running from him. But he finally showed himself to me in a way that I was able to understand and receive the gospel. But thank you, God, for your patience before I ever knew you. Maybe as a follower of Christ, you would say, Lord, thank you for your patience when I look to lesser things. Thank you for your grace when I look to lesser things and for calling me back to truth. Whatever it is, we're just going to take a few moments and just kind of a silent time of prayer. I want you to just bow your heads right there where you are. You can go ahead and bow in prayer and just begin to seek him. Thank him for his patience. Thank him for his grace. Praise him for his goodness as a father that loves you. And if you're here today, as you continue to pray, if you've been asking that question of how long, God, I want you to know your father sees what you're going through. He knows the burden of your heart. He knows what you're dealing with. It may seem as though he's being silent, but he is not distant. He is present. Continue to spend time with him. Continue to seek after him. Continue to be in his word. and Continue to pray and ask him to show himself to you, to make it, make you wise, rather, uh, to what he's doing and why maybe he's doing it. But then also be willing to say, Lord, if, if you would have me not to know right now what you're doing, then help me to trust even in not understanding. God sees your pain. He welcomes you to bring it to him and lay it before him. But, but I want to encourage you as you pray, how long, God? I pray to be honest to know that we've made God ask that same question of us much more than we ever asked it of God. That we have never had to be as patient with God as God is with us. And so praise him for his grace. Father, as we spend this time before your throne, just want to be still and know that you are God. Lord, there are so many situations in this room. Some have burdens on their hearts that are just becoming almost unbearable. They don't know where to turn. I pray they would know that they can turn to you. And I know sometimes that seems frustrating because we have to wait. There's a seeming delay. But I pray even in the delaying, 
we'll trust because we trust our Father is good, not because of what you're doing right now, but because of what you've already done. You don't have to show your goodness to us in any way, shape, or form, Lord. You don't have to prove anything. You've already proven it through the death of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So help us to be patient, to endure, because, Lord, you've set that example for us. You've had to endure with our lack of faith. Lord, you've had to endure with us as we look to lesser things, and yet you're so patient with us. It's not okay that we've done those things. But you understand and you call us back. And sometimes, Lord, you bring discipline. Because it's what we need as your children. And so, Father, I pray that we would just take this time this morning and the busyness of every day. We are so busy that we would just be thankful for your grace. Thankful for your patience. We would lift up the name of Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. I pray, Lord, that when we understand how patient you are with us, it would help us to be patient with others. Lord, I believe that one of the greatest testimonies we can be as believers is to show grace and patience to those that maybe don't deserve it, haven't earned it, and in fact have earned the exact opposite. Maybe we would show grace and patience to those around us that have let us down or didn't come through like they should. I'm not saying it's okay, but Lord, I don't think the solution is to gossip, complain, and vent about those individuals. In essence, we're committing a sin against them. So Father, I pray you give us wisdom in this to show a Christ-likeness in how we interact with others, to not have an attitude that we're owed something or we deserve something, but just know that when you were completely equal with God, you humbled yourself to the death of the cross. So I pray that we would learn, as Paul says, that the mind which was in Christ, the attitude in Christ would be the same attitude in us. That we'd model our lives after you, show grace and patience to those around us. I'm not talking about compromising. I'm not talking about backing down from truth. But be gracious and patient with those who don't understand. So, Father, again, we thank you for all of this. Thank you for this morning. It's just been a great day to celebrate you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We do want to invite you back tonight, 6 o'clock. We will have our evening service as we're continuing to be in God's word. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Uh, Have a great afternoon. We'll see you tonight. And you are dismissed.